Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. We all know that I'm a big advocate for spending 15 minutes of one-on-one time with your child daily. Now, obviously, that can get very tricky with busy schedules and life, or you can run out of ideas for things to do one-on-one with your kids. And this is where KiwiCo comes in. I've told you about our rainbow crate that we tried, and we seriously loved it. So if you're wanting to find an easy craft project or science project for your kids where everything is prepped and ready to go and cost-effective, go to the link in the show notes and get on your subscription for KiwiCo. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello and welcome back. Let's talk about ADHD and your child. Sorry, my computer got a notification. Anyway, so why is this episode important? This episode is important because about 10% of kids have been diagnosed with ADHD, but if that's the number that has been diagnosed, you know that the actual number of children with ADHD or is higher. And children who are neurodivergent in other areas are more likely to have ADHD. So we know the symptoms kind of like with our autism episode last week. I'm going to briefly discuss some of them, but those are things that you can talk to your doctor and your uh, Google account about. But I want to talk about some tips if your child has it so that you can parent more peacefully with ADHD. Okay, so we have heard about the inattentive hyperactive part of ADHD when we talk about kids, but I want to talk about some other things that might be a red flag for ADHD or just neurodivergency that aren't as commonly talked about when it comes to children. Now, as with any of the other diagnoses. If your child just has one or two of these things, it's probably not a big concern. And you also want to look at their age and developmental level where some of these are um, very common. One time I was talking with my pediatrician and he was like, all three-year-olds have ADHD would qualify. Like it would meet criteria because that is just where they're at developmentally. So don't overthink these, but these are just some things to focus on and be aware of because I think in our heads we think that ADHD is mostly just being hyper or struggling in school and not being able to focus and that is not always the case. All right so self-focused behavior this includes like interrupting trouble waiting their turn those are things that come with ADHD that we don't often talk about. It's like trouble waiting in line, constantly interrupting you. And it's because they are just like very focused on what is going on with them. And a lot of times kids will know they'll forget something or they become hyper-focused on something and they need it resolved or answered in order to be able to move on. 
The next is emotional turmoil. This is like temper tantrums, anger outbursts. Those are very common. And though we don't really link those with like attention, it goes back to, if you listen to my first episode about adults, it, it goes back to the um, like rejection sensitive dysphoria, trouble regulating emotions, fidgeting, um, or they call it stimming, um, have trouble sitting down. And the, the myth with ADHD is that, um, children with ADHD can't focus and that's not necessarily true. They hyper-focus and can focus on things that they like, but they struggle to focus on things that, um, maybe they don't like. Another symptom that isn't really talked about is being forgetful. Something that I know I talked about this in my marriage episode, but like if you have ADHD, it's likely that your working memory like is terrible. So you cannot remember what happened yesterday, what you ate for breakfast. If something is not right in front of your face, you forget it exists. This is like the reason that I open texts and respond in my head and then forget that the person ever sent them to me until weeks later. And that is, you know, because it's not right in front of my face. So we have to teach our children how to manage these things and how to create systems to help them be effective and efficient human beings. And the area that that usually comes in is school because that's what they're responsible for besides play, right? At their age. When to be concerned. The times you want to speak to your pediatrician is where there's symptoms in multiple settings, meaning at home and in school. And the, the behaviors in school and can affect not only schoolwork, but it affects social interaction and being able to socialize in school and children with ADHD, if they are not aware of it or steps aren't taken to help them, they can often feel left out or like they are different. And then this in turn can cause problems with self-esteem. So if you're noticing these symptoms in school and at home, do your best to have your child evaluated by a professional. And that does not mean that you have to do medication at all. That just means like finding what resources are out there for you and what strategies you can implement to help your child. Okay. So strategies. So perfect segue. The first thing I want to remind you is that you really only want to focus on changing or adapting one behavior at a time because it can become overwhelming. It can send the message that your child isn't unconditionally accepted as they are, and it can feel like you're constantly nagging them because as you know, with ADHD children, they are forgetful and they require a lot of repetition. And if you're constantly reminding them, talking to them, telling them to do something differently, they may feel badly. And then you add in, if you have a child that has rejection sensitive dysphoria and it can make it harder to parent, change parenting skills. So pick on one thing at a time, sit down with your child if they are of age and talk through the expectation and the rule. So I'm going to give you an example here. I'm going to use an example of getting ready for school because we're about to go into back to school. So say last year was a real struggle, or if your child wasn't in school, two years ago was a real struggle, or you're worried about what this year will look like, you'll sit down with your child and say, okay, school's coming up and we are going to work on your morning routine. So there's different things you can do. I would talk to them about what they want their morning routine to look like, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable as far as morning routine. So 
depending on the age? Do they want to set an alarm or do they want you to wake them up? Giving your child these choices helps them feel like this is their plan and they're empowered to work on the behaviors rather than feeling like you're trying to change them for who they are. So if you have a younger child, it might be that you talk about what needs to happen in a morning routine and you guys create some kind of chart, whether it's like a Velcro chart they can check off as they go or um, a laminated one that they can check off with dry erase marker as they go. That way they can learn to follow this routine. Now, when we are directing our children in what to do, my recommendation for you is to leave yourself plenty of time. Do not put yourself in a time crunch, okay, to work on these things. And instead of telling your child what they need to do next, you want to ask them what they need to do. So the example could be, what do you need to do to get ready for school? Well, I need to brush my teeth. I need to eat my breakfast. I need to get dressed. And then you can help them figure out an order for that. The reason you want to ask questions instead of telling your child what to do, both in the planning phase of this and in the moment, is because that strengthens that part of their brain and makes them use it, which is typically more weak in children with ADHD. Now, when we talk about neuroscience and ADHD, if you've ever been to a parenting workshop with Paige and I, we talk about these a ton. So learning a new skill requires creating new pathways in your brain, which is really difficult to do because things that are automatic to us, neurons that fire together, wire together. And so these reactions and the way we handle things becomes very automatic. Creating new neural pathways can be difficult and takes a lot of repetition and time. So remember that that's what we're doing with our kids and it's not going to be automatic. Also, you add in any stressor, whether it's running late, not feeling well, not getting enough sleep, your brain or your child's brain is going to revert back to its original programming or, you know, neural pathways. So creating the plan ahead of time so we're stress-free, making it as simple as possible. Keep it simple. And so it's, what do we need to do in the morning? In our house, my child is younger. We use Daniel Tiger songs for morning time and bedtime because my son loves music. He sings them and then he can think of what he needs to do next. And we even do them in that order. So you could do something like that. You could create a song, use a song that's out there make a list, however you want to do it, find something that your child is interested in and go with that because I guarantee you will have so much more success. And then when it comes time to implement or in the moment, then you want to prompt them. Okay, go look at your chart. What do you need to do next? Or in my case, we say, sing the song. What do you need to do next? Eat breakfast. Okay, what do you want for breakfast? This helps your child with that. It makes it more collaborative instead of a authoritative where you're telling your child what they need to be doing and then they get distracted when your child gets distracted in the middle of this because they will (laughs) I want you to ask them what are what are you supposed to be doing and not in a mean way like what are you supposed to be doing but in in a calm caring having their brain think what are you supposed to be doing oh looking for my shoes okay where do you think your shoes are and prompt them through thinking through that. Teach them how to think through that instead of just telling them what to do all the time. 
It's going to be a slow process, but you're going to be so much better off in the long term because they're going to be able to use their brain in this way and eventually create new neural pathways that can help them. Doesn't mean they won't struggle. Doesn't mean they won't need prompting, but it can help them and they feel more empowered. Like they're doing these things on their own instead of you saying, I've told you 50 times to get your shoes on. We're running late, which, you know, sometimes is going to happen. But for the most part, we want to lean towards the other 10. Okay, now I want to do like a behavior one. So like aggressive outbursts with ADHD children are normal. Um, and they're something that can happen frequently. So I want you to encourage emotional expression, teach them about different emotions and what they feel like in their body. So depending on their age, it can be... I know that you're really upset that your sister took your toy and it's not okay to hit. And then you can talk about what effective coping skills for feeling upset or feeling rejected or left out. Something I want to point out to you is that um, impulsiveness is something that comes with ADHD. And so that is where I think children are more likely to be physically aggressive because they kind of just hit and then they're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. And then they felt really bad about it. So working on recognizing what the feeling they're having is before they get aggressive. So right when they're starting to feel upset. So if a child commonly feels left out, okay, I'm starting to feel left out. What can I do? And really working on creating that neural pathway of like, okay, I feel it in my stomach. My chest is getting tight. And I, at this point, I need to either walk away, talk to my mom or use a skill. My course will be great for learning these things and for teaching you how to teach your child these things. So shameless plug, if you want to hop on my wait list, the link is in the show notes. Hop on the wait list. We are launching officially on September 14th. It will be available for sale. This is the first time I've announced the date that it's coming out. So September 14th, you'll be able to purchase this and it will teach you all these things. And in the meantime, I want you to work on identifying what feelings are like for your children, um, meaning like what feelings they have, where they feel them in their body and when they're most likely to react. Now, if you have a really reactive child, you need to be sensitive to that and you also need to have firm boundaries, right? So you can say, I understand that you really struggle. You really have a hard time with feeling left out and and, and I feel the same way or I get how that would feel really sad to you when two people are playing a game and you didn't get to pick the game and we, we really can't be physically aggressive with our friends or we can't hit our friends and so I need you to calm down before you go back to playing the game. The key to this, in my experience, is getting involved before you think you need to. Now, this is tricky because I talked about on my Instagram this week about how we need to let our kids problem solve. And I think we're right. We need to do that. We also know our kids. Deep down in our gut, we know what our kids are like and we know when they're going to flip. So if you're in a situation where you know your child is going to lose it, try and prompt them to use a skill or help talk them through it before they flip their lid. Because then they will see that, hey, I can do this. They're building the new neural pathway and it keeps them from feeling that shame of, oh, I lost my temper again. Also, 
co-regulation is the first step in self-regulation. So they need the prompting. They need the help. This is, for me, one of the hardest parts of parenting. When do I let them work it out on their own? And when do I intercept or interfere and help prompt skills? And I'm always finding that balance. And something I've recognized is each kid is different. So you know your kid, you know when the time to hop in there and help them is, and you know when to let it go and let them work it out is. Uh, You probably always want to interfere before or when things start to get physical. (laughs) I used to interfere with crying, but I have a certain child, she who will not be named. It's one of the girls who cries very easily. So I've had to like recognize that if it's her crying, I can let it go on a minute longer and see if they can work it out. Anyway, so those are my tips for aggression or um, being really emotionally sensitive. Other just bonus tips for all parenting, but especially for ADHD parenting, is to remember that your connection with your child matters most and protecting their self-esteem and their self-worth is the most important part of this because they are going to struggle with other things. So focus on that being the number one thing. Focus on your one-on-one time. Focus on the foundation of the relationship. Focus on connection. Number two, talk about their struggles in a way that does not make them feel different or like there's something wrong with them, but like they are empowered to create in a way that makes them empowered to create workarounds for it. And so that they know that it's not a bad thing to be neurodiverse or neurodivergent. Set clear expectations ahead of time of rules or boundaries that you are trying to implement and do this when they are calm and when their brain chemistry is calm. Don't do it when they flip their lid. Also give consequences once their brain chemistry is calm, not when they have flipped their lid. Let them calm down first and and talk about things when they are calm because they are more likely to respond in a positive way. And like I said earlier, get them involved in creating the plan. The main thing you can do for your child is focus on warmth and consistency when setting boundaries with your child. Also, praise the heck out of them. This is the biggest thing. If I can offer you any like biggest tip besides the relationship tip, this is going to be the thing. If your child specifically struggles with being inattentive or is neurodivergent, praise every good thing they do. The ADHD brain thrives on praise. So any positive reinforcement, any rewards, all kids thrive on praise. You should be praising all your kids for every little good thing they do. But as parents, we get caught up in the day-to-day and we can forget. So here's your reminder to praise your child when they listen, when they are attentive, when they do these things, because then their brain lights up, they get that dopamine reward that says, oh, I did something really good. This person's pleased with me. And they're more likely to be motivated to do it again. So if your child is struggling with completing their homework and getting it turned in at school, every time they turn their homework in, I want you to like pretend that they just won an Olympic gold medal. Okay, you've got this mom, you have totally got this. Now we're going to switch to our mom fails, which are a little different this week. They are going to be times your child has victimized you. Um, (laughs) And the reason I switched is because I was getting a little sick of mom fails, to be honest. I struggle with uh, 
getting bored of things, <clears throat> ADHD. And some people shared some like really funny stories of ways their children have victimized them. So here we go. As always, because I'm selfish, I'm going to start with mine. My kids love to get in the eggs and crack them on the floor, specifically carpet. And they like to take toilet paper and put it in the bathtub, which then it comes apart in these little teeny things and will clog the drain. So you have to try and get it out. And twins is like a whole other level. Well, as far in my experience of, um, just victimizing, like they just like, they get together, they laugh and maybe it's all sibling groups, but I just feel like it's, oh, they just, they're out to terrorize me some days. I have a friend who has twins and I hope she's comfortable with me sharing this story. And they went over to another friend's house and they were playing in like some downstairs room and the husband was a hunter. And so he had deer urine or elk urine, which if you don't know or you're not a hunter, is like a pretty common thing to attract um, male, whatever you're trying to hunt, whether it's an elk or a deer. Anyway, so they took the deer urine and they put it all over the room. Can you even imagine? I would die. Like, I can't even smell any urine, let alone deer urine. And I guess the whole room had to be, like, completely gutted to get it out. And that makes me laugh. And every time something happens, I think, well, at least it wasn't deer urine or elk urine. Okay, someone shared a picture that their child had drawn of themselves on a wall. Very cute picture. Um a three-year-old drawing themselves and they put a sticker Santa hat on it for the holidays and that makes me laugh I love I love it um you can't even be mad at that my daughter colored on my laptop keyboard with pencil oh yeah Ugh. and then you can't get it off or sharpie Sam one time drew on my white cabinets right after we moved into our new house with sharpie and I, I couldn't get it all the way off without getting paint off. And now they need to be repainted. Um, someone said their child gets toothpaste everywhere. And because it's kids toothpaste, it's bright pink. Okay. I've talked about this before. I don't know if it was on Instagram or on the podcast, but I think that we need like no mess, like toothpaste dispensers or a clear kids toothpaste that isn't sticky or going to get everywhere. Why has no one invented this yet? And maybe someone has, and I just don't know about it, but the toothpaste thing's the worst. Okay. I wish I had a picture of it, but our daycare lady texted us with a profuse apology that my son and another kid had found markers and were drawing on each other. And he had a little red mark on his skin because of the magic eraser. It wasn't a big deal. We just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the magic eraser thing is... <laughs> it's hard to get marker off. And my kids will... Um, because my husband and I have tattoos, they will draw on themselves and say, oh, we're giving ourselves tattoos. And it's like, oh, no, that's not the point. That's not how tattoos work. Tattoos are for grown-ups. When you're a grown-up, you can get a tattoo. That's what we say. Yesterday, my kid ate a dandelion and gagged himself to get the stuff off his tongue. He projectile vomited all over me instead. This was right after he had dinner and a popsicle. So you can imagine how much vomit there was. But that's my reaction. Anytime anyone throws up, I am, I am gagging. I am, ugh, nope, nope. 
When my daughter was three-ish, she dumped an entire large box of baking soda all over her room, colored on a bunch of her toys, and the wall with my $40 eyeliner. Dumped an entire $15 bottle of shampoo and conditioner all over my mom's spare bedroom, and her and my nephew dumped an entire bottle of liquid Tide into my mom's high-energy washing, high-efficiency, sorry, washing machine. They did it one cup at a time, spilling it all over the front of the washer and the clothes in the laundry room. She did this all within a six-day period. It wasn't funny at the time, but I can laugh about it now. Yeah, three is like the age. Most of these people are saying their children are three. Three is the age for terrorizing your parents. Um, someone posted a picture of it looks like crayon or marker on a window going outside. Also, my kids the other day, this reminds me, put stickers like stickers for paper on a window and I cannot get them off. So a note to all sticker makers, if you are advertising your stickers to kids, if they are kids stickers, which most stickers are, make them easy to get off. No parent needs to be like breaking out the goo gone for their window or for their floor because they have kids. Come on, guys. Like just like markers are washable, stickers need to be peel offable. Okay. All right, I'm feeling a little saucy. Must be because it's Monday and I gotta still gotta clean stickers off my, you know, my window. Anyway, I hope that you all have a wonderful week. Go get on the wait list for my course. If you enjoyed this episode or found any of it useful, please share in your story, rate, review, subscribe. All of those things help the podcast grow so much and help other people find me and so that they can hear my useful tips too. Okay. See you next week. If you want more of Mindful as a Mother, you can find me on Instagram at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Once again, at Lynn's L-I-N-D-S underscore Adams L-C-S-W Thank you.